Okay, brothers and sisters, I'm glad we put in some extra chairs. I'm glad everybody's here, and I'm glad I can still see that clock back there, so I think we're good. Um, let's open up with a word of prayer, and we'll get started with our study. Well, Father, Father, what a great privilege, Lord, it is to be adopted into your family and to be considered a son and a daughter of the Holy One. And I thank you for our salvation, God, and for the hope of eternity and the hope of heaven and the hope of being in your presence and the hope of and the promise, really, that there's no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we don't appreciate our salvation as we should, Lord. We don't thank you enough as we should, Lord. We don't praise you as you deserve for what you've done for us, Lord. I I can't wait for the day, Lord, when, when my mind is made right and my sin is taken away and I can truly praise you as you deserve and sing to you as you have earned, God, because you have saved us. What a great salvation, God. And we thank you that um, it's such a full salvation, Lord, as we think about the doctrines of grace, as we think about all of the, the order of our salvation, God, and how much wonders there is to it and how many blessings there are that accompany the great salvation that Christ has earned for us. So we give you all praise, God, for every aspect of our salvation we pray that we would worship you as you um, are worthy. So help us today to rightly understand our salvations, God. Bless this study. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, as you can see, um, I don't have any PowerPoint set up for you guys. Um, unfortunately, you know, I have Microsoft Office 2007, you know, um, I tried, actually. I dabbled with it to see if I could do something like that, and I need a little more practice before I subject you guys to my PowerPoint. So that means two things. There's good news and there's bad news that comes alongside with that. Um, the bad news is I'm going to have to do a lot more writing up on this board here, um, which also means that you guys are going to have to do some more work um, as far as maybe taking notes is concerned and trying to keep track with where we're at because this is a very broad, sanctification is a very broad subject and uh, there's lots to be said, and there's many aspects to it, many different categories that I'm going to try to slow down and note for you guys. Um, so I think it will take a little bit more work for you, but the good news is, is that my handwriting is much better than Pastor Emilio's, right? <laughs> so that's the good news. It took me a while to write that. I actually had to do a couple retries, but um, I was just thinking on, on that note of of you guys, as y'all are listening to our studies, Sunday schools, sermons alike, um, I did just want to encourage you guys to uh, take notes, to be willing to do that, um, because I just know, even as far as your sanctification is concerned, I know that you can derive a lot of benefit from that, because I know for a fact, um, from talking to you guys after our studies, you know, um, when we're not in a group setting, that many of you guys still have questions. Many of you guys um, have your vocabulary-related questions, right, that people are not asking during the study. And so I know it would benefit you to write those things down, you know, and to ask later. You know, I just, I just know how it is in the group setting. That's always how it is. We notice in small groups, the bigger the small group gets, the, the, the less interaction we have from the people. So it's just a natural consequence of of having a lot of people in the room. So I'm just encouraging you um, to, to try to do that. I know it doesn't work for some people. I know some people says it distracts them. They would rather just listen, track, and that's better for them. I get that. 
Um, I used to be like that until I realized how many questions I actually had and how many things I was missing. So, you know, um, to the women, maybe to the wives, if you're too embarrassed to speak up, you know, write down your questions. Ask your husbands at home. For the husbands, if you're too embarrassed to ask, when we get out of here, ask Google and, uh, and find the answer to your question. Or ask me or Pastor Mila would be even better. And, and uh, yeah, we just definitely don't want to, any of these things to be going over your head. You know, the whole point of talking about these things is so that you get it. So if you're sitting through here and you're not getting it, it's really not benefiting you. So whatever you, you know you better than I do, whatever you need to do to help yourself um, through these doctrines is what you need to be willing to do. It, it may take some work. So this is what we're studying. We're studying, we're going through the Ordo Salutis, which is just Latin for the order of salvation. We've been studying in systematic theology the order of our salvation. Um, I think a lot of us probably growing up, we just had a very simplified view of our salvation, just a very simple idea. Well, now I'm going to heaven. Now I'm not going to hell. Well, as we've seen, as we've gone through much of the order of salvation, salvation is a very complex work of God. It's multifaceted. There's many aspects to it, and it's glorious to study them all and to realize and to therefore appreciate everything that God has done for us. It's it's a glorious salvation that we have. It's not a simple thing, and it it wasn't any simple act for it to be brought forth, which I say is the greatest miracle ever, the Son of God becoming a human being. The greatest miracle that could possibly take place is what it took to gain us this salvation. So um, I thought what we would do just to start off is because it is so multifaceted and so complicated in a sense, if you haven't studied it before, what I wanted to do was a very quick recap of the Ordo Salutis, um, beginning at the beginning, and see if we can recall, um, without looking at your helpful notes, um, because that's one of the things, you know, you really have to learn how to put these categories into your mind. That's where you want them stored. Um, I have a lot of resources in my house, where I store a lot of things, but as much as I can get in my mind, that's where I want it, because I don't always have my commentaries with me. I don't always have my phone with me. I need the Word of God in me, right? So let's see if we can recall, um, maybe, Kadeb, don't do them all. Let, let some of the brethren help. So maybe everybody, if you, if you can, call out one at a time, and let's just go through the order now. The, the very first three that Emilio had up on his graph are under the, the, the section of conceptual um, aspects of our salvation, right? They're the three aspects of our salvation that took place before the foundation of the world in the mind of God, I would say, even were worked out in what we call the covenant of redemption, right? That, that pact that the Trinity made between themselves uh, of how this salvation would work, um, which persons of the Trinity would, 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 uh, would work out which different aspect of our, of our redemption. So, Let's start there. In the mind of God, in the covenant of redemption, before time began, um, who would like to, to throw out maybe the first aspect? Miriam, I see your finger. I see that finger back there. Yes, ma'am. Election. Election, sure. That's, Emilio had an order to them, and I meant to ask him if there was any logical order, but as I read through Grudem and Burkhoff, it didn't seem to be right. So there's three different aspects. We can go in, in any order, but that's right. Election is definitely what we would summarize, um, the first aspect of our salvation. This is where it began, right? What are some other words that the Bible uses maybe for the same? Yes, sir. Go ahead. Foreknowledge. That's right. Foreknowledge. I think there's a lot of overlay between these, right? So 
Um, that's okay for knowledge. Okay, what maybe is the other, does anybody remember the other word? Predestination. Predestination, right. And I think, like, as I thought about those and the, the logical order of them, you know, like Romans 8 says, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined, almost like it is an additional uh, further step or aspect. So predestination. But as I said, this is where it all begins. Um, all of these aspects of our salvation happened before the foundation of the world, before there was even any creation whatsoever. God decided that he was going to save a people. He foreknew a people. He, he entered into a, a covenant-loving relationship with those people in his own self, in his own, in his own uh, decree, really. This is all part of what God planned. So God has decided to save a people. Now let's get into the, our actual salvation and how that plays out. What's the first step? If God has decided to save a people, if he's decided to save an individual either, what's the, what's the first thing that he does to bring that individual to himself in time? Scott? Effectual calling. That's right. Effectual calling. What does that mean, Scott? That God is calling you to repentance. He's drawing you to him. Drawing, that's a good, yeah, that's a helpful word for what's going on there. Yes, ma'am. Regeneration. Regeneration. I'm going to put that as a separate line, right? But that's right. Because I think it's really hard to separate effectual calling from regeneration. Right? Um, as, God, as God has decided to save you before the foundation of the world, he brings the gospel to you. And in the proclamation of that gospel, he's doing a work. His spirit is doing a work as the gospel is being preached to you. And he's effectually calling you. He's drawing you to himself. And the way in which he does that is he regenerates your soul. He brings your soul to life so that you can do what? What does the regenerate soul do? It repents and believes. It's converted. Right? Conversion happens. If God brings your soul to life, you repent and believe and you're converted. Now what's the next step? When somebody believes in Jesus Christ, what does God then do? He justifies that person. That's right. And then this is bringing us to where we are today. Um, After a sinner is justified by believing in Christ... Uh, the next aspect of our salvation is is sanctification. Oh, no. Adoption. You're right. Adoption is next. That's right. We looked at adoption the last couple of weeks. Adoption. What does adoption mean? You're brought into the family of God. You're considered a son and treated as such. You're treated as a member of God's family by God, which is, yeah, that's why I was thanking God for in my prayer. Adoption. And then what? Yes, sir. Maybe I can add one thing to adoption. Please do. Just because theologians always point out, you know, after being adopted, not only do you have a right to the family of God, but you also have authority to, to, to partake of eternal life. Authority to partake of eternal life. Wow. That's how they phrase yeah, it. Yeah, child of God. Okay, good. And then, so adoption, then what? What are we looking at today? Sanctification. That's right. Sanctification. Emilio, everybody agrees that my handwriting is a lot better than yours. That's why you use PowerPoint. I'm just joking. That's right. PowerPoint is better than your handwriting. That's right. That's right. It is, too. I'm going to have to go Mac one of these days. Um, so what we're looking at today, sanctification, this is really just the next, the next blessing that we receive um, as being those 
who are now the children of God, this is the next aspect of our salvation that is, is given to us purely by God's grace uh, because we have been unified with Jesus Christ. All of these blessings, the Bible says, is always going to use that language in Christ. Speaking of union with Christ, none of these blessings come apart from being unified with Jesus Christ. That's where, that's where all of these blessings come from. So sanctification, um, we're actually, hopefully today, but at some point, um, we're actually going to even break this into a couple different aspects. Definitive um, sanctification and progressive sanctification. But as for now, we're just going to keep it nice and simple. Um, so let me give you the definition. I'm just going to give you Grudem's definition of sanctification before we move on. So in case none of you know what we're talking about, you can track from here. So this is how Wayne Grudem defines sanctification. He says, sanctification is a progressive work of God and man. A progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. In our actual lives. So um, we're actually going to take some time to do some distinctions between justification and sanctification in a minute. But um, just for right now, it's a progressive work of God. It's an ongoing work of God and man. That's also unique to um, justification. And what, what Grudem said, it's making us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. So some of those words in that definition might be ringing a bell or, or raising a red flag and how this is different from justification but it is different, and we need to think of it as such. Um, but so in short, as I think about sanctification, I just think about it being we're being conformed into the image of Christ. We're becoming more and more holy, more and more Christ-like. That's, in short, how I think about it. And really, the rest of the study is all just going to work out the details of that definition that we just had. And, and there's, there's a lot of texts that I have, so um, I'm going to have to discern how many texts I want us to turn to and how many I want us to read and all that. But I do have a lot. But let me begin the study by doing this. Um, I just want to give you guys some introductory texts, um, really for the purpose of feeling the weight and the seriousness of the matter of sanctification. And you'll hear it in some of these verses I'm going to read. This is a, this is a serious matter, as all of them certainly are, but um, just listen to the language used in the Bible. I'll give you guys a second if you all want to turn there. I know some of you like to turn there. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16 as I went through this study, this text came back up over and over and over again. I think it's one of the more foundational texts for understanding sanctification. And as I'm going to use the word interchangeably for becoming holy, the word sanctification and holiness really are used, um, in a sense, interchangeably. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Still here a few pages flipping. Okay. Starting in verse 15, it says, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all of your behavior. Because, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. See, there's a lot there. I mean, that, that verse alone could be our study for sanctification because of all that's there, but I'm going to try not to, to, to draw out too much on these because I actually want to read more than this, but does anybody know, without looking at your reference Bible, where, what's that a quote from, if you have it in all caps? Be, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Where's Peter getting that from? 
Does anybody know what book of the Bible, Old Testament book? Emilio. Leviticus. Leviticus. It says it several, it's referenced several times in the book of Leviticus. Be holy for I am holy. This is going to be no new doctrine, right? Back in Leviticus. Be holy for the reason because God is holy. That's why. Next verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. 1 Thess chapter 4. Verses 3 through 8, it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, I stop there just to say, notice, this is God's will, your sanctification. It's not just your pastor's will. It's not just your wife's or your husband's will. It's not your parents' will. This is God's will, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and in honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all of these things. Just as we have also told you before and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Verse 8, So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. A lot of weight to that, that command uh, for sanctification there and for the purpose. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. I'll just read these last ones to you. You probably know this one. Ephesians 1 4 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, right, election, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Right? Part of the purpose of this was this. Sanctification. That was his purpose in electing you, is that you would be holy and blameless before him. That's the purpose of God. Um, last verse. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, Pursue peace with all men and... There's an and there. So, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Is that a, is that a helpful um, motivator to, to work on your sanctification? A sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Right? Amazing. Amazing language. Um, so I read those just to show you just the seriousness of the matter that we're dealing with here, sanctification. I think, um, unfortunately, this... This aspect of our salvation can many times be overlooked, unfortunately. I think many people are perfectly happy with justification. That's good enough for them. Yes, sir, Brother Mike, I see you. Yeah, Brother Chris, could you give a, an illustration, perhaps? Pursue peace with all men and sanctification. Hmm. Can you give an illustration? Yeah, so I see, I emphasize the and because there's almost two things being mentioned there, yeah. right? But they're not separate. Um, to pursue peace with all men could have many applications. It could be with an unbelieving spouse. It could be pursue peace with um, people that you're preaching the gospel to who hate you and offend you and, and mock you. Uh, it could be the brethren amongst the church. Pursue peace with all of them. Right? That's what the Bible commands. And it's funny that his mind goes from this, from pursuing peace with all men, which I would say is just an aspect of love, of you loving everyone. 
His mind goes from there to sanctification, right? Which is, you know, just part of our sanctification. I think sanctification is almost hard to do this study because it's so broad. It's almost like everything in our Christian life from this point on, you know, that the Bible talks, everything about the Bible talks to this in some sense. So the whole thing is a process. The whole, oh, yes, sir. Yeah. Definitely a process. That's right. And, and having peace and loving other people is one aspect of that. You know, that's, that's probably an overarching as you read the scriptures, right? Like, what is the greatest commandment? You know, the greatest two commandments. Right? Loving, loving others, I mean, you're fulfilling the whole. You're growing in your sanctification if you can learn how to do that in every way. That's a very broad, broad way to carry this out. So um, that, that kind of brings me to, to another idea is that the relevance, I think, of this doctrine for us who are sitting in this room right now, um, the relevance is, is that out of all of this, this is what you should be doing right now. This is what you should be working on, right? God did all You didn't have anything to do with this. You didn't have anything to do with this, this, this. You did. You were used in your conversion. You did believe God did this. Hopefully, brothers and sisters, you're not working on this justification. Hopefully that's not what you're working on. That's a, that's a serious thing that I'm saying. That's, yeah, to, to try to work for this is, is a damnable error. It means you haven't understood the gospel rightly. So I actually am. We, we actually are going to spend some time on clarifying those distinctions between justification and sanctification. Deadly error. You must have it clear in your mind what you're working for and why you're working. You should be working. Make no mistake about it. That's, all we're, that's pretty much what we're going to be studying. But why are you doing it and why aren't you doing it? You're not working to get justification. Which means what? What does justification mean? Somebody tell me, like, why aren't we needing to, to, to work on justification? What, is that, what did that mean? The righteousness of Christ. Being declared. Being declared. There's a, that word, right? Being declared right by the Father because of the word declared. That's right. Yes. When you believe in Jesus Christ, when you repent and believe in Jesus Christ, God declares you to be righteous and gives you the righteousness of Christ. It's a legal declaration. It's a legal act. God, God freely does that. Um, so at the day that you believed... Um, how much holier were you? How much more sanctified were you? Well, I'll argue that you, you were a little bit more sanctified, but it's not what we're talking not about. Lot. Right? Not a lot. Um, the justification is, is, is a, a declaration, a legal declaration by God that says, you are in his eyes, in a legal standing, as righteous, perfect. The perfect righteousness of Christ is given to you. Right? You can't earn that. That's why it's by faith alone. Faith alone justifies you. Um, sanctification is I almost said it like this is what we're working on out of gratitude for our justification out of thanksgiving for our, uh, our justification right? but we don't want to mix the two right? we don't want to mix the two there's no works related to justification yes ma'am the, this doctrine of the order of salvation yes ma'am is this, does this uh, our Armenian Friends, do they see all these things as well, or is this more of a reformed theology? They're all they're all going to use these words because these are all biblical words. Now, the meaning of the words and the order they differ with us on. 
right? So election, foreknowledge, you know, of course they're going to put that first and say it's because God foresees what your actions and that's why he's going to elect you, right? So they, they, they have a different understanding of those words. Um, they would also change the order of regeneration even. Catholicism also has their own order of salvation as well. Sure. Yeah. They're going to, they're going, yeah. For them, I mean, there's some sort of justification that they have at, at baptism, right? But there's a final justification that their sanctification leads to, which is, that's an error. But Arminianism, just in general, is going to put regeneration after conversion, right? Like, if you repent and believe, then God will make you born again and give you a new heart. But to me, that seems so flatly, obviously, contradictory to, you know, how can you believe if you're dead, right? Yes, Brother Mike. I was just, I don't know, I was thinking as you're speaking about the justification and sanctification um, the righteousness of Christ and what he's done to yes, us under his righteousness I think that canopy behind you mm-hmm. we're all under that canopy of Christ mm-hmm. and while we're under that canopy of Christ he's sanctifying us bringing us to the knowledge or knowledge knowing all about who he is what he is and what we're going to receive on that day through a process yeah, that's right. We're already under the canopy of justification. We're not trying to get into the canopy of justification. We're already there. We're just working out. Yes, sir. Maybe just from a historical point of view, that uh, the question that um, she asked was the order salutis. Is that just a reform thing? It definitely is, in the sense that after the Reformation, um, especially after. Luther and Calvin, the Puritans mainly were the ones that were, were responsible for crystallizing the order salutis. Oh, you mean like the word? Well, no, actually the, the, the actual laying out of an order of salvation. Although the terms were used by Rome, the terms were used by um, different people in church history, even Augustine, right. but the actual order of salvation was not was not thoroughly articulated oh, okay, until yeah, after yeah. the Reformation. Right. Which is untangled the knots. Yeah, everybody had so it this. Is a it is a reform oh, okay, right. concept. We had, I mean, pretty much theology and doctrine. <laughs> I mean, most... I mean, where are the Arminian scholars? They're there, but it just seems to me like the Reformed camp is the one who's doing this kind of work. Right. You know what I mean? Like, That's what it always seemed like to me. I mean, you can find some Arminian scholars. They're there, but... From what I've seen, it's the reform that's doing this kind of study and this kind of systematic, especially, you know, ordering of... Yeah, so I just meant, yeah, everybody had this concept, right, of an, of an order, at least if it wasn't written down in their mind, but, yeah. Yeah, reform camp. Yeah, they're just smarter. No, they've just, uh, they've just been given some of these things by grace, right? Okay. All right, so let's, let's keep going here. That's, that's what I was trying to, to articulate was just the significance of this. This is where you are right now. Right? That's what I was saying. Like you're, we're not working for this anymore. This was the work of God. This is where your work and your concentration is to be right now. Um, hey, Chris, can you yes, sir. You yes, sir. Said it, and I it. Yeah. So there's two subterms to sanctification. Uh, definitive, which is before progressive. We've been covering a lot of progressives, so did I miss the definitive? No, we're going to get there. Okay. We're going to get there. I'm still, I'm, I want to hang out just for a second on the distinctions between justification and sanctification in general okay. before we get to definitive um, sanctification. But yeah, 
Definitely, you're tracking with no notes. I like, you can do it, brother. You can do it, so, so good. Don't be deceived, he has Emilio's cheat sheet. Oh, does he? Emilio? That's funny. Um, I also had another point in my notes was just to say this. Is while we're talking about notes, this is, I mean, this kind of thing is why we're big on theological vocabulary. Right? You must understand the difference between these words. I mean, these aren't words that we made up. These aren't words that Emilio made up, you know, just to make it harder for us to learn the Bible. This is biblical language that the Apostle Paul, and I mean, everybody uses um, to explain our salvations. And the error between these two words, if you don't understand them properly, or if you get them confused, or the realities behind them, maybe not the words, but the realities behind them, um, you can fall into damnable heresy and not understand the salvation of grace and justification by grace. So that's why I want to hang out here a minute, because historically, again, that's where much, and Emilio talked, when he did justification, he talked about a lot of the errors that came up. It's, that has been, a, a, since the very beginning, an error since the book of since Paul's churches, since he wrote to the book of Gal- to the to the church in Galatia, I would say that's part of the error, right? Of trying to keep yourself in in salvation, right? Like mixing sanctification with justification. So let me just uh, let me just recall the two definitions for you, and then I'm actually going to write out for you so it's crystal clear in your mind the difference between justification and sanctification. I want this to be crystal clear in your mind. Because we're going to talk a lot about working out your salvation from here on out. I don't want there to be any misconceptions on what I'm encouraging you to do. So, justification. I'm using just both of Grudem's definitions here because they they really, um, I think he laid them out maybe intentionally just to mirror each other and the distinctions between them. Justification is an instantaneous legal act of God, I could add alone, in which he, number one, thinks of our sins as forgiven, and he thinks as Christ's righteousness as belonging to us, and second, he declares us to be righteous in his sight. Okay, now I'm going to read the definition for sanctification again. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. Okay, so hopefully some of those distinctions were already popping up your mind. I have them written out. Actually, Grudem writes them out in his systematic. But I want you to see this because there's, al- there's almost distinctions in every aspect of them. Right, so let me write them out here for you. First off, I'm going to put justification here. Sanctification over here. Justification, sanctification. First thing, this one is just a, this one is a legal declaration a legal declaration by God of right, of your righteousness where God says you are perfectly righteous you are you are given the righteousness of Christ by legal declaration sanctification is you are actually um, how does he say that he says it's an actual internal condition of your life I just say like actual holiness, actual holiness that you gain throughout your life. You get this one's just a declared righteousness. This is an actual righteousness that you that that progresses throughout your your life. Justification. 
is a uh, is a once for all thing, once for all time. It happens to you once when you believe. That's it. You're declared righteous. You are now righteous once once for all done. Sanctification continues throughout your life. Right? All of that's making sense from those definitions, right? Clear? This one, justification is monergistic. Sanctification is synergistic. What's the difference, somebody, between those two? Between monergistic, this is something... Synergistic is going to be cooperative. Yes, sir. That's right. Yeah, Juan got it. Justification is something God does. He, he declares you righteous. You, you really, um, apart from your conversion before that, he declares you righteous. It's something he does. Sanctification is something that we participate in. Right? God doesn't work for us in that sense. Right? Um, so we work together. I, w- I would, no, I feel comfortable saying that. Even in saying that sanctification is synergistic, God most certainly is the primary foundational motivator in that. Right. Hence the two terms. Um, in both, you know, um, in definitive sanct- sanctification, you might even be able to say it's monergistic. What did you say, Emilio? I had your, I actually had your chart here. Is monergistic definitive? Yeah, that's. Yeah, we'll we'll make some distinctions between justification and definitive sanctification that need to be made. But so again, maybe I'm referring more to progressive sanctification. It's synergistic. Yeah, like if you just got saved today, yeah. like I was thinking about the thief on the cross. Man, how much sanctification did that guy yeah, get? Um, yeah. Right. So yeah, apart from you know uh, dying on a cross next to Jesus Christ to fulfill prophecy, there might be some exceptions. You know, like you get saved and hit by a bus. Um, but other than that, it holds true. Yes, ma'am. It is not. That's right. Good. Good point. Yeah, if you get saved on your deathbed, maybe. And we'll see. I'm gonna draw. I'm gonna draw that famous chart by Wayne Grudem, which is so helpful to me. I think that it'll it'll iron out some of these things. Yes, ma'am. Just right. like when, you know, any of us that have been married, like I remember when I got married to a really was like, what? You know, all of a sudden there was this paper and a ceremony that changed the status. And I didn't, hmm. we didn't feel necessarily that the paper and the ceremony has changed the status, but it was the reality, it was the truth. Interesting, yeah. And so that, that's just the same as true, you know, when we hit rough times in our lives or we feel like God's abandoned us or He is against us or, or whatnot. No, we have a, a, a covenant. Mm-hmm. And you know these things that are true, not based on how we feel. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's right. Feelings will be involved. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that sanctification involves all of the all of you, mind, emotions, will, body, soul, everything. But I but yeah, I know what Trish is saying. Mike, you go ahead. So so basically, uh, sanctification is a continuing process. Yes, sir. And I'm looking at it as well as. Well, yeah, I would say it, it's it's part of God's salvation that He's promised to us. But it's, a covenant as well. it's part of the covenant, the covenant, yeah, that, that God makes with us. 
Um, I mean, I think about, you know, even going back to the promise of the new covenant, like back in Ezekiel 36, part of that covenant is that he's going to give you a new heart, right? For what reason? So that you will obey his commands, right? Like that's part, it is part of the, so the covenant. It's a working out. It's a working out. It's a working out. That's right. That's all, that's all good language. Um, what else here? Oh, yeah, this is justification is perfected in this life, right? But guess what? Sanctification, unfortunately, is not perfected in this life. Even if you live to be 110, right? Even if you're saved at a young age and you live to be 110, you're still not going to be perfectly like Christ. You'll never attain to that. Unfortunately, we, but the desire is to, and that's the, that's, that's really the task is to be striving for that. But the reality is, and we're going to talk about why we don't ever, why we're not able to reach that, but that's a, that's a definitely a important distinction. Just as far as our justification is, is concerned, we are perfected in Christ. Our actual, um, sanctification is, is a, prog- a progress that will never reach perfection until death. Um, so with that being said, just, as far as your justification, this is glorious. It's the same for everyone. Right? As far as your right standing before God, you're just as righteous as Abraham. Right? You're just as right, righteous as Paul. Because it's based on Christ's righteousness. Because it's based on Christ's righteousness. Same for everyone. This one, sanctification, your sanctification, because it's a process, is going to be different for everyone. Different levels. Right, that's just the reality. Right, hopefully the longer you've been saved, the more sanctified you are. The shorter time you've been saved, the most likely the, the less sanctified you're going to be. And of course there's different ranges for the speed of sanctification depending on the different means of grace that the Lord brings you on your path. And I would say as well, because it is synergistic, how well you apply yourself to your sanctification as well, not just what God provides. God could provide a lot of beautiful means of grace and if you don't take a hold of them and work out your salvation you're not going to grow in sanctification you're still going to remain a child and so that that would be working out your salvation it's a good text right yeah i got a whole page on that text that's right working out your salvation that's that's helpful language um yeah that's right so i want you guys to understand the differences between those two so there's no complications in your mind i would just say like historically that has been a major error um, separating true churches and false churches on what they teach about how one gains justification and, and what the role is of sanctification in your salvation. You need to understand that. Um, sanctification, in one sense, is just the working out of, this, of your justification and salvation that you have. Um, but they're not identical. They're not identical. I, I say this. I go as far to say this. If you don't have... What comes next in the order of Lutus? If you don't have sanctification, right? If sanctification is not happening, I would say you don't have justification. That's that's a pretty heavy reality, but that's all I'm saying is the order of is presenting to us the entirety of God's work in salvation. We don't get to pick and choose which aspects of our salvation we would like to have, you know. Um, so if you don't have sanctification, if that's not happening in your life, you should be worried that you haven't been justified. Maybe something hasn't happened that needed to happen. Maybe you haven't been regenerate. 
And maybe you've been deceiving yourself, and you haven't truly come to faith in Christ. So that process hasn't actually um, begun. Right? But the theology behind sanctification is important, too, because it's not just, um, as we're going to see as, as the text, where's that text, Juan? Philippians? Philippians 2? Or 4? 4, 16? 4, 12? Where's it at? 2.13. What does it say, as I was trying to say earlier, is the primary mover in our, the working out of our salvation? Why is it that we're working out our salvations in fear and trembling? Why do we do that? Why do we work out our salvations in fear and trembling? What's the causal? No, what produces the working out of our salvations? Because we fear the Lord. What does that text say? Yeah, that's right. So, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's a work that God is doing in us that is part of our salvation. And if you don't have that aspect of God working in you, I'm saying you may not have the rest of the salvation that God is supposed to be working out in you. You know, like I said, a lot of people love justification. They want justification. Some people, they seem to bucket sanctification. They seem to, you know, push back a little bit on that. I say, hey, that's, that's a dangerous thing that you're, you're saying there. This is part of, the, this is part of your salvation, it's the hard part, right? It is the, it is the hard part. We're going to look at some of the language. I just wrote down several verses that the Bible uses that speaks about our... This is the hard part. Repenting was, was hard too as well, right? We had to, we had to leave the, the cares of this world and those types of things. But maybe as far as the, the ongoing fight and battle, that's what makes it hard, right? It's, it's just an ongoing, long, fought-out battle. Um, let me, let's, let's look at one thing. Uh, man, page four. Wow. Let's look at one last thing. Is that clock right? Is it 2.20? 2.15? Okay, good. Okay, let's look at something. Um, 2.17? Good man. Good man. Let's look at something because the order that I'm telling you about that encompasses all of our salvation, justification comes first. Right, adoption and then sanctification. Um, sanctification surely follows, and it's based on what God has done. Right, all of this is the working out of what God has done first. Right, we're not working for our salvations. I was just thinking about the reality. If you want to turn to Romans chapter twelve, I was thinking about just biblically, especially in so many books in the New Testament, how the theology of sanctification follows this this pattern is that in a lot of the, 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 the books of our Bible, the pattern is this. What God has done for you in Christ, and there's always a very big therefore. Therefore, you work out your salvations or whatever. But I just put down all the examples I could think of off the top of my head here. One of the famous, famous transition here in the book of Romans is in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, because... The first 11 chapters is just the glories of um, the, the deadness of man and sin, even though it is glorious, I think, because we're safe from it. All of the discussion about justification by faith, all the discussion about predestination and election, unconditional, how God's saving Jew and Gentile, working out this grand scheme of, of salvation and what God's doing, ending in verse 36 of chapter 11 with this doxology. And here's the transition that transitions you into the rest of the book of Romans. 
Therefore, because of everything that he said in the first 11 chapters, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. See, I'm saying this is a biblical pattern. Everything that God did in Christ for you, therefore you work. Therefore you put off. Therefore you worship and sacrifice. Right? That's the biblical pattern. They must, the order must be right. Right? And, and, and biblically, I just see that's how it's set out in a lot of letters. Maybe another, maybe turn to the book of Hebrews. It's almost a similar Hebrews chapter 12. We have all the glorious theology that we've been studying in the book of Hebrews about what God has done in Christ, who Christ is, how he works for us as our priest, all of these things that he does. And then even the examples of what God has done in the lives of other saints throughout church history. And then you get to um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and there's another huge therefore. God did all these things. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, therefore. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance in the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run the race with endurance. You see that? Therefore, it's very important there. And really, he sets, I mean, you look at the next couple of chapters, it's, what I, it's all aspects of what I call like the practical theology, working out of your theology of what God did. Um, there's multiple examples of this. The famous ones are like Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Same thing. The first three chapters of Ephesians, we all know the glorious. He starts off with election, what Christ has done, the, the work of the Spirit, how he takes you from deadness to life. Then you get to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, and there's a, a huge therefore. Therefore, because what, what God has done in Christ, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. See that? Everything we're doing is based on what God has done for us in Christ. We're working all that out. Um, yes, sir. Go ahead. Um, I just think it's really important that we get this because, especially today, so many folks, you know, they, they obviously they undermine the importance of theology. Mm-hmm. And they talk about, well, what do I need to study all that doctrine for? Like, what's the point of it? I've had mm-hmm. several people ask me that. Right. Um, and uh, even just recently, I had somebody ask me that, like, what's the point of knowing all this doctrine, right? And then, like, what you're talking about is moving from the indicative to the imperative in the Bible, right? You yes. Go from, you go from what is to what ought to be. And it's like yep. exactly what you're saying. We don't get to what ought to be unless we really firmly understand what is. You know, how how can right. we pursue sanctification if we err on justification? And uh, so, and that's the way yep. that, you know, like you're showing the pattern over and over. So, yep. you know, we live in a very non-doctrinal age where people just have no tolerance for for specificity in mm-hmm. Scripture. You know, they think it's just overboard. They think it's boring. Can't grow a big church that way. Right. You know, uh, what's the slogan? Doctrine divides, Christ unites. Right. You know, which is an oxymoron, really. Yeah. So, <clears throat> that's good. Yeah, amen. Yeah, both. You, you must have both. You must have the theology that grounds in, in the indicative of what God has done through Christ for you. That must be the foundation of why you work out your salvation. And But you must work out your salvation. And you must keep all of the imperatives of the Scripture. You must strive to. Both are true. The indicatives and the imperatives are both there for us. And they're all part of this salvation. So, 
I really didn't get very far in this. Um, so I'll come back next week, right? Pastor Emilio, I'll have next week too? That's what I did. And we'll, yeah, that's, and we'll keep going. Um, so let's pray, and we'll go to service. Well, Father, it is a glorious salvation that we have, Lord. And Father, I thank you for this church, Lord, who is committed to preaching through books of the Bible, Lord, where we will get all of your counsel, Lord, where we will be, we will be shown everything that you did for us in Christ, and we will have preached to us the imperatives of your word, whereby we might glorify you and serve you and live lives worthy of the, the great calling that you have given us in Christ Jesus, lives worthy of the gospel, Lord. So stir us up now as we go to um, service, Lord, prepare our hearts for the supper, Lord, and Please press in on us the importance of paying attention to Hebrews chapter 7 today, Lord. Let us, let us be in awe of your salvation and what you've done so that we might work out um, this great salvation in our lives. Please bless us, Lord, and keep us. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.